Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. Thanks for having me back. It's always good to be back here. You know, we love, we, love, we love it downtown. My office is downtown, so I get to come down here two days a week, and the other days we're in the West Shore, and God's doing some great stuff. You know, if, you're, if you haven't met me before, my name's Adam, and I am the, the campus pastor at our West Shore location, and so that's one of my favorite things about this church. We're, we're one church with many different rooms. Uh, at 2 o'clock, we have our Ignite Campus meeting in here, which is going to be exciting, and of course, at 10 a.m., we, we already did church in the West Shore. That's old news. And so we've already done that, but uh, thank you so much for your prayers. Thank you, as, as Laura said, thank you for, for sending us out there. It's exciting to see um, what God is doing out there, and you are all a part of it. A win for us is a win for you. A win for you is a win for us. Everybody wins, except the devil. He loses. Joke's on him. And so glad to have you here. You know, if, you're, if today is your first time, can I just say welcome? So happy to have you with us today. Uh, I didn't grow up going to church, and I remember what it felt like going to church for the first time. It was terrifying. Uh, we won't do anything weird. Well, I can't speak for the person beside you, but uh, I won't do anything weird. I can't even say that either. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen this morning? But uh, I, I am glad that you're here, and uh, you picked a good church, and you picked a great Sunday to be here. Um, this morning, I'm going to wrap up our series. We've been walking through a series called Firm Foundation, and it, we've been looking at prayer, the Bible, last week worship. But this morning, I get the privilege to speak on a topic that is very near and dear to my heart. Because as I said, I didn't grow up going to church. And for me, I became a Christian because somebody put into practice, somebody modeled what we're going to be talking about today. You know, in its simplest and purest form, the subject of today's message, when practiced within a local church setting, is literally how God designed the church to impact the world. This is our secret weapon. This is why we're here. This is what we get to do. And specifically, what we're going to look at today is the subject of witnessing, being a witness in our community for Jesus. Now, now don't let this topic make you nervous, okay? Don't let it make you nervous. I believe God wants to unlock something inside of your hearts today. And so if you've been a Christian for five minutes or 15 years, or, or longer, or shorter, maybe you're not even, you wouldn't even consider yourself a Christian. My heart today, I gotta believe, I gotta believe that God set it up for you to be here today. And, and I know the Lord put this word on my heart. So maybe, just maybe, God has something special for you. And so, so I invite you, I challenge you, and I encourage you. Invite God to speak to you this morning. As we begin, I want to I I put aside some mental images when it comes to witnessing and evangelism, okay? Witnessing is deeper than preaching on a street corner with a megaphone. And witnessing is deeper than some sort of pithy, apologetic-type argument to help argue somebody into the faith. Witnessing is deeper than putting 
Christ follower on your Instagram profile. <laughs> okay? And it's also worth mentioning before we jump into this that, that witnessing isn't something only the people who have the gift of evangelism do. All the time, we, we, we compare ourselves sometimes to people like Billy Graham. <laughs> Billy Graham is Billy Graham. You are you. You don't have to compare. It's not the same thing. Witnessing is what I like to call the supernatural overflow of the work of God in a person's heart. So that makes it universally applicable. And as I mentioned, I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that God placed a word on my heart for this morning. In fact, before we go any further, I want us to take a moment and pray so that way we can invite God to individually speak to each of us. Because I believe if we get this word into our heart, this is how God does things we didn't think were possible. <laughs> this is how God stretches our faith. If we allow God into the places that maybe we weren't, wouldn't typically let him go, if we come to church saying, God, I want to leave different than the way I came, that's how this Christian stuff comes alive. So let's, let's pray. Like I, like I might speak something that might make you interested. I might make you laugh. I might make you cry. But I can't change your life. That's, that's the Holy Spirit. That's God. And so before we get into the word, let's ask God to get into us. Okay, would you bow your head with me? Lord, oh my goodness, we don't want another sermon today. We want a spiritual revelation this morning. Lord, may people look beyond me and beyond my thoughts. And would your spirit lead this service? Lord, awaken something inside of each of us. Awaken something fresh. Give us ears to hear what you're saying. And give us eyes to see what you're doing. In your name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. So before we jump into the Bible, I want to look at something interesting together. I want to look at the 2021 Canadian census. Boring. No, this is fascinating because the data discovered in the 2021 Canadian census actually paints a jarring picture of the religious landscape across our country. So here we go. Across Canada, amongst those surveyed in 2001, so looking back 20 years ago, of the people surveyed, 77.1% of Canadians surveyed claimed to have a Christian faith. So one in seven people would say, I'm a Christian. Some nominal, maybe they go once, once, once in their life. Some are like die hard, hardcore. But somewhere in that pendulum, seven out of 10 people would have said they're a Christian. Fast forward 10 years, we get to 2011, and the stat changes. It's now 67.3% of people. Fast forward another 10 years to 2021, here's what it says. 53.3% of Canadians surveyed claim to have a Christian faith. Which means that over the past 20 years, 24% of the people who used to go to church stopped. That's pretty sobering. To look at these numbers from a different perspective, in 2001, 16.5% of Canadians 
surveyed claimed to have no religious affiliation. Ten years later, that number grew to 23.9%. And now last year, 2021, 34.6% of Canadians surveyed claimed to have no religious affiliation. That number went up 18% in a 20-year span. Did you know that across all the provinces, all the Canadian provinces, when it comes to religious affiliation, BC, British Columbia, our home here, British Columbia, we're actually the least religious province across the whole country. So much so that we are actually the ones lowering the stats. Of the top six least Christian cities across all of Canada, the top six are all from British Columbia. Two of the three are on Vancouver Island. You know, and if you look at all the provinces from, from, from all the way across, British Columbia is the only province that has more people who claim no religious or secular perspectives versus Christianity. In every other province, there's more Christians than people who claim to have no, no religion at all. It's fascinating. Those top six cities, though, here in, here in BC, number six, we have Vancouver, 47.1%. 47.1% of those people claim to have no religious affiliation. Chilliwack, number five. Number four, Kelowna. Number three, ladies and gentlemen, Victoria, British Columbia, at 60.5% of people in Victoria would claim to have no religious affiliation. Number two is Kamloops, and the number one least Christian city in all of Canada, you can drive up island and visit Nanaimo at 62.9. Not a shocker, it's Nanaimo. Just kidding, Nanaimo, we love you. I'm from Nanaimo, so I can make fun of it. Uh, I think that's how it works. But 62.9%. Um, but, but like... The harvest is plentiful, friends. Ladies and gentlemen, our, our home, our, our, our city, our beloved Victoria is the third least Christian city in our nation. Let that just sink in for a second. Like God is moving in our midst. We're, we, we, like, I don't know about you, but during worship, I could feel the presence of God in this room. He, he's, he's real. But 62 or 60 point or 60.5 percent of our city would not know that Jesus is real. They would not know that Jesus can, can heal, that he can save a marriage, that he can turn a person's life around. That he can literally stop addiction in its tracks. 60% of our city have no idea of the life-changing power of God. So what are we going to do about it? The harvest is plentiful. As I was preparing for today's message, there's, there's, there's two things that the Lord kept bringing, kept bringing to mind. Kept bringing to the forefront of my heart. There's two things that we need to own as a church here at Coastline. And I would say there's two things that we need to understand, each of us, before we leave here this morning. And the first one is this. People are hurting, 
and they need to hear the message of Jesus. The stats are showing us this. If you, if you, if you look out at the news for five seconds, the news is showing us this. If you drove here this morning, our neighborhood is showing us this. People are hurting and they need to hear the message of Jesus. And number two, and this is critical, your role in communicating that message is more important than you know. It is significantly more important than you know. So, so, so what is the message of Jesus that we need to be sharing? Thanks for asking, Callista. My, my favorite de definition for the message of Jesus is actually found in the Bible. And, it, and it, it's actually not, it's not complicated. We treat it like it is. We treat it like we've got to teach somebody rocket science in order for them to become a Christian. But it, it, it's not. Paul summarizes the entire message of Jesus into 12 words in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. And this is what he says. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's that simple. Everyone. It speaks to this idea that the message of Jesus is for everybody and anybody. If you've got a heartbeat, this, this, this Jesus, he applies to you. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. It speaks to this idea that the message of Jesus is both practical and personal. You, you need to take ownership. There's something, there's something that, that, that you need to, to own for yourself. It, it, you can't just be Christian by proximity. You don't reap the rewards of Christianity because you came to church this morning. That's awesome. We'll give you some coffee, but we can't save your soul based on attendance alone. It doesn't work like that. We don't have that ability. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It speaks to this idea of second chances because we all have habits or hangups or hurts. It speaks of this idea of transformation, this idea of new life, this new, new idea of new beginnings, hope, healing. That's what it speaks to. And that's such encouraging news. But in verse 14, Paul, Paul he, he starts to dig a little deeper and he starts meddling a little bit. And he asks a very profound question. So at the beginning, he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And everyone's like, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, way to go, P. Diddy. Verse 14. First question. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? Like this message is really life-changing and powerful. But if nobody knows it, it does nothing. Number two. He says, but how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him. Like, you, you don't know what you don't know. Like, I don't know about you, but before I became a Christian, I wasn't like knocking on all the churches just to hang out on a Sunday morning. Lame. It, it was like, I didn't know to even go. You don't know what you don't know. Number three, he digs a little deeper and he says, how, how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And that's a fascinating question because God is God. Jesus can just show up in the middle of your bedroom and, and tell you that he's real. 
but he, 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 he partners with people to share his message. He partners with humanity to help show people that what he or who he is can actually transform lives. And so he asks this question. He says, but how can they hear him unless someone tells them? And then the next one, whole, a little bit deeper. And he says, and how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? Because it's easy just to come to church, listen to church, and then go home and forget about church. But he's like, there is something more to Christianity than just consuming. There's this, there's this element of being sent. There's this element of changing the world. There's this element of making a difference that isn't just for me as a pastor, but it's for all of us as Christ followers. So what does it mean to be sent? Who is he sending? Well, God sends all of us. We're all sent ones. He sends the church. We are God's rescue plan for humanity. We are God's strategy for reaching the people who are hurting and who need to hear the message of Jesus. Friends, this isn't, this isn't optional. <laughs> This, this is on all of us. This is, this is part of what you signed up for when you said, I want to be a Christian. It's not, shh, I'm a Christian. There's this element of to be a person of faith means to shine in the dark places. Means to apply your Christian beliefs, values, convictions to the way you parent your kids, to the way you treat your spouse, to the way you handle yourself at work. There's this, there's this element of being a witness that is critically important for the, for the world to see so that way they can know that Jesus is real and not just for them, but also you. So you can know that your faith isn't just some thought, but it's practical, it's tangible, it's life-changing. So what, is this, what does this look like? How do we live it out? This is how, how, how Jesus describes it. At the, at the end of the book of Matthew, Jesus gives what theologians would describe as the, the Great Commission. In other words, this is the, this is the how-to of how-tos. This is, this is what we are supposed to do as the church. And to better understand our role as God's rescue plan for humanity, or, or may I say it this way, to better understand what it looks like for us to be witnesses in our own day-to-day -day lives, getting an understanding of these verses in Matthew 28 are extraordinarily foundational to, to helping you become the person that God has created you to be. So turn with me. If you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. It'll be up on the screen. But here we go. I want to start off. I want to give a little context first because typically we don't start the Great Commission here. But I want to start in verse 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. So Jesus said, go to the mountain. The disciples went. Earth shattering, isn't it? That's what happened. Verse 17, though, this is where it gets interesting. When they saw him, they being the 11 disciples, him being Jesus. So when Jesus' disciples 
the people who should know how to be Christians better than anybody in the whole world at that time. When the 11 people saw Jesus, they worshiped him. But it doesn't stop there. It then goes on to say, but some of them doubted. That is fascinating and liberating. And I want to take a moment to encourage somebody in this room. When Jesus saw them, or when they saw Jesus, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. What this tells us is that if you're in the room right now and you are doubting this whole Christian thing, you're not the first one. Don't beat yourself up. This has been going on for years. <laughs> I remember when I was in grade 10, we had this new tr student transfer to our high school. And it, it's pretty exciting when a new student transfers in, especially when they're a major babe. And, and this was big news for Nanaimo District Secondary School. Um, in, in 2000, like this would have been headlines if there was a, a big newsletter for the year highlights. Uh, well, at least for my friend group, it was. This was really, really exciting because this girl, she was like a fairy tale. It was like a movie right before our eyes. She was a mystery. She lived on a sailboat transfers in out of nowhere. Nobody knows where she came from. She used to like glue these little gems on the side of her face and she would like sparkle when the sun hit her. Wow. Uh, she, she was mysterious. I, I mean, just to give you an idea how incredible this girl was, uh, as she finished high school, she went on to compete in the Miss Nanaimo beauty pageant. And she became the Nanaimo Friendship Ambassador. Like, this girl was elite. <laughs> and I doubted that she would ever date a peasant like me. <laughs> but you know what? You know what? That student was Shandy, and she became my wife. <laughs> Just saying. God is a God of miracles. Check. Just thankful that he doesn't make all the blind people see. <laughs> I was okay. That was my in. <laughs> Some of you, you might be doubting the existence of God or, or doubting your faith in God or doubting whether or not God likes you or wants to be a part of your life, the validity of this whole Christian thing, perhaps even doubting, maybe you're here and you're doubting your ability to contribute to sharing the message of Jesus. And you're like, that's great, but that's not for me. I'm not wired that way. Doubt is not evidence that something isn't true. You hear that? And sometimes we can sit in doubt and hear a message like this. And like, oh, I've heard this sermon a hundred times. I, I, I doubt God's going to do anything today. Doubt is not evidence that something isn't true. Doubt is evidence that your brain works. It's evidence that you're processing what you're experiencing. This seems too good to be true. This doesn't compute. This is not what I understood. This is not what I thought. And we treat doubt as if it's some sort of like high-level sin. It's not a sin. It's a process. It's how we actually figure out who God is. And if the 2002 Nanaimo Friendship Ambassador can fall in love with me, 
Maybe, just maybe, what seems impossible to you, the thing that you're doubting right now, that hard truth, maybe there's more. Maybe God can do the impossible. Verse 18. So Jesus came and he starts speaking to his disciples. And this is, this is how he starts. He says, listen, guys, before I go and send you out, before I tell you what you need to do, you need to understand this thing about me. And this is applicable for us as Christians today. The first thing he says to his disciples, he says, listen, I've been given authority, not just a little bit, but I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. That thought alone speaks so much to our own personal theology of God. Before he, before he sends them out, he's like, I need you to understand this about me. He's saying, church, Christians, Coastline Church, 2023, listen to me. He's saying, you need to understand. I've been given authority over heaven and earth. In other words, there is nothing I can't do. There is nowhere I can't go. There is no place, I, I, like nothing that I can't have access to. Nothing is impossible. I can literally do anything is what Jesus is saying. When you pray, remember that Jesus can do anything. When you read your Bible, remember that Jesus can do anything. He did it then, he can do it now. When you stand at church and we sing songs and we worship, remember that we worship a God who can literally do anything. And when it comes to witnessing, and when it comes to telling people about your faith, explaining what God's done in your heart and in your life, remember, Jesus has been given authority in heaven and on earth, and he can literally do anything. Yes. Jesus is not a 2,000-year-old dead prophet. And Jesus is not just a wise teacher. And he's certainly not some sort of cute Christian icon. He's God. He's alive. And he has just as much authority now as he did in that moment when he sent out his disciples. So let's unpack that. He says, I've been given authority in all of heaven and all of earth. Verse 19 says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That word therefore is so pivotal. So pivotal. He's saying, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. So understanding this, therefore, I want you to do that. And the thing I want you to do, full well knowing that I can do anything, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to go. It's as if he's like, guys, look around. The world is a mess. The world's a mess. Pay attention. Watch the news. Go on social media for two seconds. What's Jesus going to do about this? What's, what's Jesus' rescue plan, Right? Like, God, do, do, do you care? What's your divine strategy to change the world? It's two letters. Go. He's like, guys, I need you to go. You are being sent. 
You are, you are going to be my hands and feet. You are my strategy. You are my representative. You are my voice. You are, your voice is important. You're my rescue plan. You got this. That's what he's saying. He says, go and make disciples. Well, what's a disciple? A disciple's a student. Go, go, go and model what you've learned from me. Go, go, and, go and make learners. Go live your life in such a way that people look at the things that you do and they scratch their head and think to themselves, what's different about them? Make people intrigued. Pique their interest by living so differently. Go, therefore, make disciples. Teach them about me, right? But he says, of all nations. And this is such a beautiful piece. Because it speaks to this idea that everyone is included. I hate to burst your bubble, but Jesus didn't live in Canada. <laughs> okay? If Jesus didn't say, go and make disciples of all nations, we wouldn't be sitting here today. This message, this thought, literally is a movement that has changed the world, and that is what we're a part of. So go make disciples of all nations. This is baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is significant and symbolic. It, it, it symbolizes new beginnings. It speaks to this idea of new life. The old is gone, the new has come. But it also speaks to this idea that you can't be half in and half out. You can't be half Christian and half something else. You can't be half Christian and half another religion. You can't, you can't just go and pick what you want to pick. I can't be married to Shandy and married to somebody else at the same time. At its, at its fundamental core, Christianity is a personal relationship with God, a one-on-one, -on -one, me and Jesus type relationship. And so when he speaks of the importance of baptism, what he's saying is he's saying, like, like you got to be all in. There's no such thing as half Christian, kind of Christian, sort of slightly Christian-ish. He's like, like, you need to be all in. Forget who you were. You're a new creation. You are born again. It's a new life, second chance. And if you want to experience the fullness of the Christian faith, you have to be all in. And if you haven't been baptized yet, in two weeks we have a baptism service here. You can let our team know over in the atrium after the service. But oftentimes what happens, it's not that being a Christian means that poof, now you're a super Christian. <laughs> but what takes place when you are baptized is you're saying, you know what? I want to be all in. <laughs> No more of this wavering stuff. No more of this one foot in, one foot out. This dance that we try and live where we're Christian here, not Christian out there. 
is saying, God, I, I want all of you. I encourage you, get baptized. Verse 20, he says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And, and I think sometimes this is where we get jumbled up and confused. So we're going to get the idea of, go, make disciples, whatever that really means. Go to all the nations, all right. Baptize them, sure. But teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments I've given you. Which commands do you emphasize? Which ones are primary ones and which ones are secondary ones? Like, like there's, there's a lot of different Christians out there. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's like a, a whole continuum of different kinds of Christians. How do we know which one is the one that's most like Jesus? Ironically, Jesus actually simplified this for us as well. And what I've come to realize in life is that we need to stop emphasizing the things that Jesus didn't emphasize. That in and of itself will help us a lot. You're not as smart as Jesus. None of us are. So why not try and emulate him as best as we can? So what's the most important thing that Jesus wants Christians to do? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 and 40. We had what we would call the Great Commission. Now we have what we call the Greatest Commandment. Verse 36. Teacher, which is the most important commandment of the law of Moses? You want to know what Christians are supposed to look like? Verse 37. Jesus responds with these words. This is what Christianity is supposed to look like. These are the greatest commandments. Verse 37. Number one, you must... Love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. Okay, that's fairly intuitive. That's the first and greatest commandment. I picture everyone being like, all right, love God, check. Number two, though, he says, and the second is equally important. And I can imagine everybody waiting to hear what he has to say. Because loving God, that's intuitive for us in the Christian church. Of course, we're supposed to love God. But number two, of equal importance to loving God, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Everybody would have spat out their water. Equal importance? You're telling me that to be a Christian? Equal importance. Loving God and loving other people. Isn't that blasphemy? Not for Jesus. To love God the way we're supposed to love God is to love people the way God loved people. And the best way he can communicate that thought was Jesus saying, everyone loves themselves. So love other people though as much as you love yourself. And this is how we're going to change the world. Love God and love people. Then he says this. He wraps it all up. Be sure of this, ladies and gentlemen. And this is the kicker. And we'll close with this this morning. He starts off his statement by saying, listen, 
I've been given all authority in heaven on earth. Like there's nothing I cannot do. So I need you to remember that when the times get tough. Knowing that I am who I am, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples and I want you to live out your Christian faith in such a way that people look at the way that you live and think to themselves, wow, what's different about them? Is that Jesus? And then the best part, because Jesus knows what he's asking isn't going to be easy. He knows the complexities of our humanity. He's not shocked by the, the 60% of people in Victoria not being Christian. He, he, he knows that. So he wants to prepare us. And so what he says is profound. He says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Meaning this lesson didn't just apply to the disciples, but it applies for us today as well. He's with us always, even to the end of the age. That's inspiring. Because that tells me that when I practice my faith and when I live out my Christianity, it tells me that God is involved and in working through me at the same time. But how does he do this though? Like how is he actually with us? Because even Pastor Andy doesn't have physical Jesus walking hand in hand with him down the street, <laughs> right? How does Jesus be with us to the end of the age? To finish, let me look at this last verse in Acts chapter one, verse eight. And again, this is Jesus pep-talking his men, his disciples, his peoples. And he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He, he, he parallels the Great Commission here. And he, and he explains to them how, how this whole thing is going to work. Do you want to know why you'll receive power? Do you want to know how you'll receive power? Why we don't have this spirit of fear? It's because of the Holy Spirit. The presence and person of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to send him with you. Not so that you can have Pentecostal church services but so that you can live out your Christian faith so that way the world can see who I really am. You're not here by accident this morning. And I believe that you have been placed here for such a time as this. In fact, I would say I believe that you've been anointed for such a time as this. And I'm speaking to every person in this room you're a leader. You're a message carrier. You are a witness. There are people in your life that you have influence over that nobody else in the world does. 
You are that window. You're that conduit. You're that tool that God has chosen to help show people that he cares about them still. 60% of our city think that Jesus is a joke. We have a responsibility to show them who he really is. I believe the tides have changed. And I, and I would say I believe that we're stepping into a new season. The tide came in, we felt it. And it's been exciting. But I believe now the tide needs to go back out. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to send people back into their homes, back into their workplaces, back into their schools to bring what you've experienced here there. Let's be honest, the majority of Jesus' miracles didn't take place inside of a church. They took place in the community. They took a place like in, the, in, in, in real time moments. When someone comes up to you and says, I'm, I'm having an awful time. I just got real bad news. And in that moment, a believer would come to them and say, well, well, can I pray for you right now? And in that moment and in that space, you bring a, uh, this, this kind of sacred moment with you. Just as a tide is a rhythm of coming in and going out, coming in and going out, coming in and going out, I believe God is sending us out so that we can rescue people and bring them back in out and in. Jesus' commands were twofold. Love God, love others. Actually, can I get you to stand with me? And if I can ask you to be so brave, but to try and maybe you feel comfortable closing your eyes Maybe you want to put your hands out in front of you. But, but more so what I'm trying to do is just trying to create a sacred space. Forget about the person beside you just for a moment. Forget about lunch and your plans. Jesus' commands are twofold. Love God and love others. And if you're here this morning and you're having trouble loving God... Maybe, maybe you've been through a difficult season. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you've been hurt by the church. You're feeling doubtful, afraid, you're, or maybe you feel overlooked or forgotten. When you're having trouble loving God with everything that you've got, it helps to remember that despite how you feel, God loves you. And God loves you more than you can know. And I want that to be a revelation for some of you today. Don't worry about your side. Just spend a moment thinking, wow, Jesus loves me. And when it comes to loving your neighbor as yourself, maybe some of you, you've been having trouble with that. Maybe you've been wounded or hurt by somebody close to you. Maybe you're shy or introverted and you tell yourself, no, 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 it's not for me. 
Maybe you're not confident in your Christian faith yet, or maybe you're embarrassed, or you feel you don't have the right words to say to somebody. When you're having trouble loving your neighbor, it helps to remind yourself that despite how you feel about others, Jesus loves them just the way he loves you. In, in both of these scenarios, the secret to walking out these commandments, the secret to being a, a, a witness in our community is not strategy and tactics. I'm not preaching strategy and tactics today. You need a revelation of God's love. We as a church, we need a revelation of God's love. If we can love people the way God loves people, he will change this city. Let's pray together. Father, all across this room, Lord, we pray for a revelation of your love. That Holy Spirit, you would come right now. That you would fill us with your presence. That you would help us to see people the way you see people. That you'd help us to see ourselves the way you see us. Jesus, where we maybe have seen ourselves as unlovable or untouchable. Father, we just speak against those lies in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray that today you would awaken something inside of each person in this room. You are not too old to be a missionary. You are not too young to be a witness. Father, each and every one of us in this space has a calling from you, oh God, to be a witness to those who are around us. So Jesus, help us to shine and help us to shine bright. Father, we, we pray that you would give us boldness, that you would give us courage, that you would help us to love people in those awkward scenarios, that you would help us to love people when it's, when it's inconvenient and when it hurts. Father, would you help us to love people the way you love people? And Father, would you break our hearts for the lost? Jesus, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for the last 100 years we've experienced as a church. But in Jesus' name, we look forward to what you have before us. We look forward to this next season. We look forward to living out our faith in a way that surprises even us. Jesus, may this be real. May we not try and fake anything, but would you give us a very honest revelation of your love today? We are loved by the Father, and we are your kids. We thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. And everybody said, amen.